too many visitors, but if that's you, or maybe you're checking uh, us out online, or I know several of you probably are at home watching online. Hello, glad you're here. Everyone turn around to the cameras, wherever they are. There's a few, and say hi to the rest of your church. Um, and if, uh, so, so, yeah, so we're glad you're here. My name is Jesse. Uh, I'm part of the pastoral team here, and like I said, we're going to be in Hebrews. And if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. The ushers in the room will hand you one of our Bibles. And like I said, Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 10. Uh, and the reason, there's a reason why I'm having to go to those two places. But in case you have forgotten, and I pray that that's not the case, but if you are here for the first time or you have forgotten, we're in a series called Our House. And, and essentially what the attempt is during this series is to talk about what it means to be the people of God, what it means to be the church. What does that mean? The church is not a building. The church is made up of a bunch of different individuals that God has brought together in one place. We gather in this building, but the church is the people. It's the people of God. Uh, And so we've been asking the question, what does it look like to be uh, individuals who love Jesus uh, but also a corporate body that loves Jesus. And so we've, we've discussed several different things over the last several weeks. The first one that we discussed was talking about, number one, holiness matters to God. And that we should live lives of holiness. But we also really, really kind of doubled down that our holiness, uh, that, that we understand our holiness is not about what we do as much as it is about who we know and who we're hidden in. That is Christ. Our holiness Our righteousness comes from God. That's one way to say that anything that's good about you is because you're hidden within Christ. Anything that's bad about you, God the Father doesn't see because you're hidden in Christ. That's holiness. The second thing we talked about was that we are to have a sincere love with one another, a love without wax, a love that is not pretentious, a love that is genuine and real. And then last week we talked about as a church, we're to bear each other's burdens. And and some of us have heavy loads that we need assistance from others in the church to help us carry that load. So this morning, when I pulled up here, there was a whole team carrying the load of removing the snow for you this morning. Give those guys and gals a round of applause. There's a guy in the back row, awesome guy. He always hides in the shadows. He was, well, not in a bad way, but in a good way. Kip, thanks for your help this morning, buddy. Um, so it takes, it takes a church, right? I, I don't know how many of you remember in, in bearing each other's burdens. If you remember the Lord of the Rings, the, the very last scene. Do you remember that very last scene, right? As, as Frodo is carrying the ring and he can't get there. And his buddy, do you remember what his buddy says? I can't carry the burden for you is what he says. I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. Remember that? The church is supposed to look like a bunch of hobbits. That's the lesson there. Now, in Hebrews, the title of this message this morning is Let Us Consider. Let Us Consider. Uh, And there's three things that we're going to consider. One is our confidence. And two is our confession. And then actions of our consideration. Okay, you with me? Number one, our confidence, our confession and what it is and how we play out, how we live out our consideration. Now, by way of context, so you understand Hebrews, Hebrews, this book that we're reading, which is one of the 66 individual books of the Bible, in this particular book, we don't know who wrote it. There are lots of theories. There are a lot of people who think that they might know. But at the end of the day, we just, we just really don't know. What we do know is this. What we do know is that the audience that originally read Hebrews 
They were Hebrews, funny enough. Good title for a book that was written to Hebrews, right? Uh, this is a Jewish audience. And essentially what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's saying, this, in order for you to understand the gospel, in order for you to understand Christ, this is true for you as a Gentile as well, you need to have a sure understanding of the Old Testament. And so there's things in the Old Testament, especially about the priesthood, uh, especially about the sacrificial system, all of those things that are in the first part of, uh, of what you, we call our Bible, the Old Testament. All of that, if you read that, you might read that and go, okay, this is, you may end up a, a, as a Jew. You may end up worshiping Yahweh. You may end up into a sacrificial system, all of that. But what Hebrews does is it says, okay, you know the priesthood, uh, Levi and his family, and, and you know the sacrificial system, all of those things that are entailed within the tabernacle. Hebrews says, let me tell you how it all shows us who Jesus is. That's all basically Hebrews is. Hebrews is a book that says, I'm helping you understand why the Old Testament is the way that it is. And then all of all the stuff in the Old Testament, all the sacrificial system, all the priesthood stuff starts to finally make sense. And especially for the Jew. And so this morning we come across this particular text in Hebrews 4 and also in Hebrews 10. Think of it like this. Hebrews 4 is the beginning of the author's dissertation on the essentialness of Jesus and the church and the sacrificial system, Hebrews chapter 10 essentially wraps it up. And there's at least, I think at least eight, at least eight different connections between Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 10. So go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hopefully you're already there. And let me read to you, and you're, you're going to see, I just want you to see, mostly what I'm going to be teaching out of is Hebrews uh, 10, but I want you to see Hebrews 4 in light of Hebrews 10. So Hebrews 4, uh, verse 14. Since then, remember Old Testament. Here's Old Testament verbiage now. Since then, we have a great high priest. Do we have a great high priest today? We do. It's me. No, I'm just kidding. Not me. (laughs) I'm not your high priest, right? Amen. The church says amen. I'm not your high priest. Your high priest is Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, it was a man, the Levites. And, and, and now we're told that we have a great high priest, listen to the language now, who passed through the heavens. Notice the language passed. Through heavens, through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast. Here's another term you need to look at, holding fast to our confession. Remember, that's one of my points. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, let us draw then for, therefore draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy in our time of need and grace in our time of need. Now, Hebrews 10. Go to Hebrews 10. Flip those pages, swipe your phone to the left or right, whatever it is that you're doing, and look at Hebrews chapter 10 and look at verse 19, and you'll see very similar language. Therefore, chapter 10, verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, there's the word again, confidence, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. Remember before it said Jesus passed through the heavens. Now we're told that he passed through a curtain. That is through his flesh. And since now we have a great priest, same thing, here's the high priest. Since now we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near 
with a true heart, full of assurance. Do you see assurance? It was in chapter 4 also. With our hearts sprinkled clear from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Lord, these are your words. They're holy. They're true. Use them to make us like you. Use them to comfort us. Use them to shape us and mold us. And this we pray in Jesus' name we all said. Amen. Amen. So here we are. In this particular passage, our first point here is that we have to understand that we have a responsibility. One of the things that we need to consider is that you and I as Christians in verse 19, that we're to have a particular kind of confidence. Do you see it? Let us draw near, it says. And as we draw near, specifically he's telling us, again, this is language of intimacy. Let us draw near to who? To God. And when we draw near to God through the person of Jesus Christ, the encouragement in the first part of this text is that we would do so with confidence. Now, how many of you enter the throne room of God, enter into a prayer time with God, enter into a study time with God with a kind of confidence that allows you to understand that God wants to know you, hear you, understand you, and he wants you to know him and for you to understand him as well? This word confidence is an interesting word because it's a rare Greek word. It's, it's not a word that's used very often in the New Testament. And what it has to do with in particular, when it says, let us draw near to God with confidence, this new high priest... That we're to draw with confidence, this, this rare word uh, has within its meaning that we, we approach God with a free and open expression. Free and openness, right? Over the last several weeks, this is a theme that we have covered, right? With, without wax, if you remember, right? The, the, let your cracks show, the brokenness and the shattered pieces of you show. Love each other with sincerity, not, that not in a hypocritical way, not in a pretentious way, in a very real way. Now we see here, he's saying, you've got to draw near to God with confidence. And the reason that this is such a radical statement to the Hebrews Understanding the Old Testament is, is because in order to enter into what was known as the Holy of Holies, to enter into the place that was called the Tabernacle of God, the, the only individual that could ever enter into what was known as the Holy of Holies was the Levitical high priest. And to do so, the Levitical high priest had all kinds of laws, both within Scripture and added on to Scripture by the Pharisees and the Jews, that they would participate in all kinds of, of ceremonial washings, right? An exterior washing of the hands and of the feet and of the body, even the clothing, so that when they walked into the holiness of God, the unapproachable light of God, this is something you have to understand about the character of God is that the center of God's character is his holiness and his righteousness. And if one approaches God with only holiness at its core, one is obliterated and wiped out and dead because you're unclean. So the priest would go through all this washing. Some of you might know the story. Some of you are biblical enough. You've been around enough. You know that literally what they would do, this is very true. They would tie a rope to the priest's leg as the priest would sh sh very just, you know, shudderly walk in, hoping that his ceremonial washing was going to allow him to approach the holiness of God without dying. But to his luck, he had a little bell attached to the rope. Why? Because if he thunked in the presence of God, that's the scientific term for dying, if he thunked in the presence of God, the bell would stop ringing and the, uh, the rest of the crew would realize, 
Well, he didn't bathe correctly. And they would drag his dead carcass out of the Holy of Holies. The holiness of God is not to be approached, it's not to be touched, unless you go through a particular kind of washing. And what was interesting is even the priest himself could not enter into the Holy of Holies with a confidence that God would not strike him dead because, because his heart was never actually pure to begin with. Now all of a sudden this writer, who he's got to be Hebrew, says to a bunch of Hebrews, you go ahead and enter into the Holy of Holies now. And do it with confidence. This is, this is new covenant language. This is now that Christ has made the ultimate and only sacrifice that is needed for the people of the world to come into the presence of God. The work has been done. And now, now the encouragement that we're given as a church, this is something that has to be marked by you as a believer and by myself as a believer that you and I don't come to the throne of God trembling with fear that he's going to strike us dead, but rather we come as children to our Father who loves us and say, I'm here to be with you. I'm here to spend time with you. I'm here to hear what it is that you want to say to me, that I can be used by you in this world, and that I can be intimate with you, and I can know your joy. As one great hymn writer wrote, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood and lose all their guilty stains. Amen? We draw near. As a church, we draw near in confidence and notice Notice he now says that we enter through a new way in verse 20, and that way is called a living way. This is a way of life. What he's essentially saying in this new way is all of the old requirements of access to God, all of, of, of the, the things that would cling us back and make it hard or difficult to approach God, he's saying in this new way, you have complete access. It, literally, the word that's used here when he says this new way it was something that was once unavailable is now available. So the, the priesthood in the Old Testament, there was only a, several individuals, a few individuals who could enter into the throne room of God. Now Hebrews is saying every Christian can enter into the throne room of God with confidence. This is why you don't come here during the week and I hide in a little room and I slide open a little door so you can't really see my face and I go, tell me all your sins that I may pardon them. No, because this access is for you to access God the Father and forgiveness from God the Father through Jesus Christ. Do you understand how, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here, but do you understand how ridiculous it is to look at a priest through a grate within Catholicism, as an example, and to speak through that gate for forgiveness of sins when literally the text tells us that the curtain that divided us between God and man has been ripped asunder. Why are you speaking to a man through a veiled gate when the text says the walls between you and God have been torn apart? So what occurred is literally this thick, huge curtain. In order to access God, to draw near to God, you, you would have to go through this curtain. Now he's saying you don't have to enter through a curtain. You enter in through the flesh of Christ himself. You have a new gateway to God a new doorway to God. And it isn't those front doors, right? It isn't. It's, it's Christ. He's torn the curtain apart that you and I can have access with him. Listen to what it says in Matthew 27. For those of you who don't know, 
Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. He yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Now, if that was, did you hear what just happened? Essentially, in the temple, there was a huge curtain, very thick, very heavy. We're told that there was an earthquake. We're told that, 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 that literally the, the sun was darkened. There was, there was no light. And there was a huge earthquake the day that our Savior gave up his birth, <laughs> gave up his death. His, oh, my gosh. Water break. <laughs> gave up his spirit. Now, if that wasn't enough, Matthew 27, verse 52, <clears throat> says, When that curtain was torn in two, the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and they appeared to many. Whoa, dude, World War Z just occurred. This is zombie day here. The saints are coming out of the graves and declaring the gospel through the city. They're being seen. Why? Because the, the curtain that has been torn down and the new door that we enter through is Christ. And that, that new door is, is a door of life, not death, but life. So he says, draw near. And he tells us, he uses another word that we've used in a previous sermon a couple weeks ago. Draw near with a sincere heart. There it is again, without wax, a transparent heart with certainty that you'll be accepted. Do you know what the New, do you know what the New Testament encourages for you as a believer? It says, yes, test your faith. Make sure you're saved. But it also really, really doubles down that you will be secure in your salvation, that you can't lose your salvation. How can you lose something that was given to you as a free gift? How can you lose something that you never earned to begin with? Listen to what John, who walked with Jesus, says in 1 John. I, read, I write these things, he says. So he says I'm, write, I'm writing 1 John. I don't think he called it 1 John. But he said, I'm writing 1 John to you. Why? I write these things, and listen to what he says. I write these things to you who believe in the, in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It is my prayer that if you are in the room this morning or if you're at home watching online, that you would know because God wants you to know that if you have faith in Jesus, who is God, who died for your sins and was resurrected from the dead and took the wrath of God on the cross, which you deserve, if you believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he is, the Bible wants you to know that your salvation is secure. Listen to what he says in Romans 10, 9. If... You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart and God's raised him, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say, <clears throat> if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that you're premillennial, that you speak in tongues, that you practice the gifts of the Spirit. Does it say any of that, Wayne? By the way, Wayne had a, his first new Holy Spirit class last week. 70, 70 of you showed up. So, good job to you. We still love you. He tells us, hey, you're, you are saved because you believe, know your security. This is, again, draw near with confidence, all still part of point one. But look at what he says in addition to that. 
knowing that you have a clean conscience and your bodies are clean. He's telling you that the ceremonial washing has already taken place for those of us in faith, that we can enter into the Holy of Holies. So in Exodus chapter 30, this is what the the priesthood was told. Okay, if you're going to go into the temple, there was going to be a basin made of bronze. You're going to approach that basin made of bronze, and you're going to wash. And in Exodus chapter 30, verse 21, we're told that they have to specifically wash their hands and their feet. And the text then specifically says, so they may not die. Do you remember COVID? <laughs> wash your hands unless you die. And if you don't wash your hands, then you're definitely a Republican. <laughs> 100% a joke. 100%. Because you're not a Republican, you're a Christian. Okay. <laughs> so we've got a bunch of Democrats walking around, washing their hands in a bronze basin. <clears throat> So they don't die. (laughs) Now, what's important about this, what's important about this is that your hands represent what you do. Your feet represent where you go. Both things can make you dirty. Do you remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? He says, let me wash your feet. And Peter says, no. And then he says, then you have nothing to do with me. And then Peter says, wash my whole body. And then Jesus says, your whole body doesn't need to be clean, just your feet. This is a renewal. A mercy is new every morning for the Christian. But what I need you to see is that, again, as you draw near with confidence, what God is stating is anything that you've done, anything that you've thought, anywhere that you've gone, all of those things now, because of Christ's blood, you are ceremonial clean. You are ceremonial clean to approach God. So if you go, well, you don't know where I, what I did. You don't know what I've seen. You don't know where I've gone. doesn't matter. You still have access to God. So then that takes us into the next point. He says, okay, you've got to draw near with confidence. So that's our confidence. What's our confession? Notice what he says in the text here. Go to verse 20. We enter in by the new and living way, Hebrews 10, that he opened to us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest... Over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, right? There's the sincere heart, full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So there you are. You're clean, right? Now, now what is our confession? Because he tells us as we draw near, we draw near with confidence, but we draw near with a specific confession of our hope without wavering that we're to stand true in and stand strong in. What is our confession? Well, let me give you at least five, okay? And really, let me give you two, and then I'll give you five. I'm going to go broad picture, and then I'm going to get a little more detailed, and then tease it out from there. The the first thing that you need to understand, he says, you need to hold fast to your confession. It's in both passages. Holding fast is a, a literal present and ongoing act. It's something we do, and it's something that we need to continue doing. Think of, of being on like a roller coaster. Hold on, <laughs> Don't put your hands and feet outside of the doors and windows lest you get hurt. But holding fast means to detain, to retain, to contain, to occupy, to possess with unswervingly, uh, with un, uh, what's that word I'm looking for? Unswervingness? That's a good word. We'll make that one a word. Uns- you, you occupy and hold fast with unswervingliness. And all of this communicates something that is stable. It communicates God's Immutability. 
our confession is at least two things. Number one, the confession that we hold to, broad picture, number one, Jesus is Lord. Number two, Jesus saves. The confession in which he's talking about isn't a doctrinal confession like the Westminster Confession or uh, the 1689 Confession, I think it is. It's not a particular set of doctrinal confessions that men have placed together. It's those two things specifically. But when I say I'm going to tease it out a little more, I'll give you several places of confession that, that basically states, I believe Jesus is Lord and I believe that God's going to fulfill his promises. I believe that he saves And Hebrews gives us a few things throughout the book that tells us exactly what we should be confessing. Hebrews 10.16 says we should be confessing that God is faithful to write the law of God on our hearts. What that means is if in your confession you know that God has given you a conscience to know what is right and wrong. Hebrews 10.17 tells us that, that we, that he will no longer see our sins anymore. Confess that. God, I know that you don't see my sins anymore. Hebrews 10, 14, God has promised that he's the only sacrifice that's needed. Hebrews 13, 5, he's promised to never leave us or forsake us. Hebrews 12, 10, he has promised to bring good from all of our pain. All of these things, along with the essentialness of the word of God, that's our confession. Our confession is hope, and hope where? In Christ, in Jesus. So we have to understand these two things, they come together, right? The the first one being, okay, I need to draw near. As a church, we should continually be drawing near to God with confidence every single day that is possible, and we should be coming with a confession, and that confession should be rooted in Scripture. And that confession isn't as difficult as you think. It's really simple. It's to confess that your hope is essentially on Christ. Now, now, are there all kinds of doctrines and, and things that we teach that come out of that? Yes. That's why we have our New Believers class right now. That's why we have the Holy Spirit class. That's why we have community groups. That's why we have a men's breakfast and a women's Bible study, all kinds of women Bible studies. We have so many opportunities for you to dive in and grow in your faith that you would know what your confession is because the encouragement for our house is we would hold fast no matter what society brings about, no matter what happens in our culture, we're not going to stop being who we're called to be. So I joked a little bit about COVID, but COVID was, was a good time for church leaders to really figure out what is the church? What do we do? What does matter? Because now at the end of this, right, Paul, 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 Whoever wrote Hebrews. (laughs) He tells us to draw near with confidence. We have a clean conscience and we have this confession. But then he says, we have something to consider. Notice the language that's used here in the text. He says, let us us consider. So now now what you could say is everything I've just stated up until this point is a a point of are you considering it? What is to consider? It's it's literally to, to, to pause... And to think about, it's to notice. 14 times it's used in the New Testament, and whenever it's used, it's used to help us to understand that we need to notice, consider, pay attention to, to look closely at. It's really closely associated with to gaze at. You think of something that you've seen that is just 
massive or amazing. I like whenever my wife and I have the opportunities, you know, we've had the opportunity to go to Hawaii and, and you stand on the shore break and especially in Oahu where the, the big pipeline is and what, what have you. Forgive me for messing this up. I don't surf. But all I know is when you stand on that, that, that sand and you look out and you see the massiveness of those waves and then, and then and you see this little white thing going down, like that's a dude on a surfboard. And you're just standing there. You know what I'm talking about. Those of you who stood at the edge of the ocean and you see the massiveness of the water and you can't help but just gaze. Right? It just makes you wonder the kind of power that's behind that, the kind of radicalness that's there, the, all of those things. It just it, it brings you to a place that's almost otherworldly, doesn't it? I mean, have you ever stood on the shoreline and looked at a wave and been like, that doesn't look like it should be possible? Or if you pull up videos of boats massive boats, yachts and stuff going through the ocean of these radical 50, 60, 80 foot waves. Just massive waves. And when you see these things, you can't help but just go, whoa. Or if you ever walk into Cabela's and you go to that little animal section in the middle, you know what I'm talking about, right? There's a few beasts in there that you're like, why'd you make that, Lord? Because that looks like it could hurt something. It's huge, right? I mean, they got some kind of weird deer thing that's just like way bigger than it should be and he's telling us you have to consider and the the thing that he then says is consider what look at look at what he says what is it for he who promised is faithful that's why we hold to our confession without wavering because jesus is faithful that's verse 23 verse 24 let us consider what's the consideration how to stir up one another towards love and good works so a church that's centered on the gospel and a church that's centered on the word of God is a church that draws near to God, but it's a church that takes into consideration how they can stir up other people in the church towards good works and to do it in a way that is loving. You know what's really interesting about that word stir up? There's another place in scripture that it's used. Acts chapter 15, verse 39. And there rose a sharp disagreement. It's the same word, stir up. A sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Why, do, why am I mentioning it? So you understand the context of what he's saying. He's saying when you stir up, when you think of that word stirring up, you typically think, you typically think, you know, you put your arm around somebody and say, hey man, you can do it, man. Go, brother. Sometimes it's that. But that word stir up is actually a word of contention. What Hebrews is essentially saying is a church that's centered on the gospel has people in it that you trust and love so much that you, ha- that you allow them to say the, the, the hard, contentious thing to you. Who is in your life? Safety first. Who is in your life that can bring a sharp disagreement to you? Right, who's the person in your life that can come up and lovingly, you can trust them. Like, this is a rare thing. Not everyone can do this for everyone, but Hebrews is encouraging that you would allow people in your life. This word to sharply disagree, it means to sharply confront. Essentially what we're being told is that if we don't have some people around us who that will allow at times to confront us, we're never gonna grow. In order to be the people of God, our identity has to be so saturated in Christ that when somebody comes up to us and says, you're not doing it right, we're not crushed and perplexed. I've been doing ministry for 20 years. I have not gotten out of this thing without bruises, scars, bumps, and you name it. And the only way to get through that 
is to not attach my identity to my sermons, to attach my identity to the, way, the ways I've been successful in counseling, not counseling, and where I've been, been a good elder and a good leader. I cannot attach my identity to those things because at the end of the day, I, I, I am identified by God and God alone. And the only way that I can ever grow is if I can let somebody come up to me and say, you know what? I think you're doing it wrong. Do you think that's ever happened in my tenure? It has. And sometimes I need to hear it. God is faithful. It's a sharp, ouchy. Right? I, I remember one of our old elders. His name's Terry Heilig. He's not an elder here anymore, but he comes to church here still. Older guy. I've known him so long that when I was a kid, he used to run a baseball card shop and a football card shop and I used to collect football cards and I went in there as a young kid and went in there with a buddy and my buddy had more money than I had and I wanted to buy another card and so I took my buddy's money and Terry who's a Christian came out from behind his counter because he ran the card shop right he grabbed me by my ankles and he turned me upside down and he shook me upside down and he, until my money fell out and he gave it back to my friend and then he became you know then <laughs> I became one of the pastors here and he's one of the elders here and and, and I was like, I dare you to try it now, Terry. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I remember one day he came into my office and he had some really sharp words for me. And he wasn't wrong. And I remember I looked at him and I said, okay, well, what do I do? He goes, I don't know, but you got to figure it out. And he walked away. It was one of the best conversations in my ministry that I've ever had. He wasn't trying to fix me. He was coming to me as somebody that I knew that I loved. I knew he loved me. He was sharing with me something I needed to hear. And I'm okay with that. And so should you be. But you can't handle it unless you know that you can draw confidently to the throne of grace. You can't. You cannot deal with sharp criticisms in a way that is healthy unless your identity is rooted in God. So, he says we stir each other up. Every now and then you need someone to tell you to sharply disagree with you so that you can do the things that God has called you to do before the foundation of the world. He has prepared beforehand good works that you would walk in them. So the idea of someone sharply criticizing you is that you can walk in the good works that God has produced for you. Whatever those may be. And then what I love about the text is he actually tells us how to do this. How do we draw near? How do we allow ourselves to gaze and to consider these things of God? How do we grow in the things that we should be confessing? And I love the fact that God in his providence decided for this text to be used on this very wintry day. Do not forsake the gathering together as is the habit of some. So how do we do it? The first thing, the first encouragement here for us this morning is we get ready to take communion in just a few moments. Don't neglect the meeting of the saints. Develop the right habit. Now, I want to be clear on something. Is it acceptable? Do you think God's upset that there are several, I don't know how many of us are at home watching online? God's okay with that. You know, we even have parents that sometimes won't even see them during the ski season because their kids do ski team. Okay. During the summer, we'll see new folks come, winter, right? It's just always moving, you know. So, so 
if that's you and you're kind of like, you're here, you're not here, is, is, is God saying, hey, you're not, you're neglecting, you're doing the wrong thing. No, no, no. He's saying, don't, right, you notice this, as is the habit of some. He's saying, you can't make it habitual. What he's essentially saying is, is your heart for the gathering? Is your heart for the people of God? Not just Sunday mornings. Are you saturated in Christian community as well as knowing people who aren't Christians? Are you in the rhythms of grace, we might call them? Right? You, you, you take time during the week to think about God, to pray for people in the church, to pray for the church, to pray for your pastors. That's what it means to not neglect a meeting. Right? It, 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 but it also does mean that this particular gathering, gathering uh, in addition to every other gathering that exists across the U.S. and across the nation, this is an essential part of our Christian community and, and an essential part of what makes us people of God. People of God gather. And that's why for us as a church, and I'm so thankful that that time has passed, that we had the conviction after a certain amount of time to no longer forsake the gathering during COVID. And I can tell you this right now, I don't think I could ever foresee us ever forsaking the gathering of the saints ever, ever, ever again for any reason. You know what's really... I might start crying here in a few moments. There's another place where this word's used. Don't forsake. Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you see what Hebrews is saying? To not be a part of the gathering is to emotionally, physically, spiritually, to a degree, to be like Christ on the cross who is separated from his Father. He's saying to not be part of a family of God is one of the worst kind of separations one could ever endure. That's why the gospel has to be central to a church but the gospel is nothing without the people of God and the community of God. Do not forsake the gathering lest you feel as Christ did. I'm distant. I'm far off. God is not near. Have you ever felt that way? Sometimes you just need to be around other believers to cultivate that right habit because the day, he says, is drawing near. He's coming back soon. And it's my hope that we would be a church that encourages one another to be what it is that God wants us to be. So let me end with a story, okay? I found this in a, another sermon. It's a true story of a gentleman by the name of Tony Campalo. Is anyone familiar with Tony Campalo? <laughs> Wayne, is it? That's awesome. So Tony Campalo is a Christian speaker and a sociologist, and he teaches in Philadelphia. And he tells a story of a time when Tony Campalo visited Honolulu, Hawaii, for a pastoral conference to go there and to speak because of his travel time, there's a six-hour difference that he, you know, a little jet lag. So he was wide awake at 3 a.m. while he's staying in his hotel in Honolulu, Hawaii. At 3 a.m. one night, he gets up. He's hungry. He gets out, and he walks out into the streets of Honolulu. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's like a little New York City on, the, on sand. He ends up finding a diner. It's a seedy kind of you know, low-end cafe. And he goes in there, he sits down, and he's eating. And, and next to him, he can't help but hear, but there's two ladies who are sitting in the booth next to him. 
And they're having a conversation. And it turns out as he's overhearing them that they're prostitutes. Again, if you've ever been in Honolulu, Hawaii, you know that the streets at night are filled with prostitutes. Well, this one lady's name was Agnes. Agnes was communicating to her friend that, that tomorrow was her birthday. And so the person she was with asked her, well, you're going to have a party. Is anything going to happen? And, and, and this lady, Agnes, she says, well, you know, I've, I've never had a birthday party in my life. Not too long after that, those ladies left. Tony goes to the owner of the diner. His name is Harry. He's a seedy-looking guy. And he says to Harry, hey, do you know those ladies? Harry says, yeah, they're in here every night at the same time, and I know them pretty well. I know all the people that come in late at night. Tony says, let's throw her a party. And when she comes in tomorrow night, let's have a party for her. And Harry says, if you want. Tony says, I'll go out. Here's the pastor. I'll go out. I'll buy the decorations. I'll buy the cake. I'll buy all that stuff. Do you know any of her friends? He says, sure. I know all of her friends. He says, will you invite them? The next night at 2.30 a.m., they began to decorate the diner. They decorated the cake. And all her friends started coming in at 3.15 a.m. And of course, Pastor Tony looked around and he suddenly realized all of her friends were prostitutes. And there he was, a Christian speaker in the middle of a diner filled with prostitutes. At 3.30 a.m., Agnes walks in and everybody screams, Happy birthday! He describes that she was utterly stunned and she couldn't even stand up any longer. She sat down and she just started to cry and she looked at the cake, but she was crying too much to blow the candles out. Harry blew out the candles and handed her a knife and he looked at it. She said, No, wait a minute. Do we really have to eat it right now? Look, I'll I'll be right back. I live right down the block and and I want to keep the cake. Would it be okay if I could just keep the cake? Could Could I just take it home and could I keep it? I don't want to eat it right now. Is that okay? Tony said, Well, sure. She said, Wait a minute. I'll be right back. And she jumps out and she runs out of the diner. And then here's Tony, Pastor Tony, standing in a restaurant full of prostitutes and no one knows what to do. What's next? All the banners are there, and there's an awkward pause, and this is what Tony said. What I decided to say was, how about we pray for Agnes? <clears throat> so I prayed for Agnes, he said. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed for her, her life, and that it would be changed, and that God would be good to her. And when he finished, Harry leaned over and said, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And he answered, I belong to the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 a.m. You know, the story goes on, and Harry, and the story says that he thought for a second with some hostility in his face. He said, no, you don't. There's no such thing as a church like that. If there was, I'd join in. I want to be a church like that. And I hope you do too. This is our house. And the doors are wide open. Let's pray. Lord, thank you.
for an opportunity to gather, to worship you, and to see that you're good. We trust you, that you'll continue to make us and mold us and shape us into the people that you desire us to be. So Lord, let us draw near in confidence. Let us hold fast to our confession. And let us consider how we can stir each other up for the good works such as Tony just described for us. We trust you for it. In Jesus' name. I want to invite the elders to come up. We're going to, as they pass out the song, as they pass out the communion, um, they're just going to sing a song for you. all come back up. We'll partake together. So hold on to the elements uh, until they're, you just, just hold on to them. We'll partake together. Thank you guys. And uh, let's sing again. Just hold on to them. We'll participate together. I was going to ask uh, uh, Wayne, would you help over here if, if needed? Thank you. Risen from the
if you're at a place in your faith where you feel broken, the message this morning for you is just draw near to the Lord. If some of you have been here for a while and you might be asking, okay, what does God have next for me? And the answer to that is that you would be a grace dispenser in this community, that you would give God's love and, and unconditional love and acceptance to as many people as possible. So when they say like this, why would you throw a party for someone like that? You say, because God is good. And I've experienced his love, and I want to give people that love. I want people to feel the love of God through me. That when they look into my eyes, that they don't see Pastor Jesse, Priest Jesse. They see Jesus. And that's my hope. And so we gather here together in his house, it's his people, to participate in communion, which is a communal act. It's just a way for us to remember that spiritually, every single one of us are already sitting at the table of God. You know, there's a guy who's been coming to church here probably six, seven years. His wife is a Christian. He hasn't been a Christian. He hasn't declared himself as one. And because scripture says if you're not saved, you shouldn't participate in communion because you might be adhering to something that you don't believe in and it could bring wrath and trouble your way. And so for the last six, seven years, he hasn't participated in communion. By God's grace, he sat in this room the last time we took communion and took communion and his wife looked at him like what are you doing and he said it's time maybe that's you this morning it's time give up your spirit to him Lord we thank you for the sacrifice you've made this is worthy of rejoicing and so now we turn from pondering and gazing and looking to now singing and celebrating and exaltation, Lord, because you, you don't want us just to sit and moan and begroan. You want us to raise our voices on high and declare that you are good with a shout and a praise. And we do that now in Jesus' name. We partake. His body broken for us. One last song. Hey, I got to hear this while they were practicing. Buckle your seatbelts, y'all. We're about to get down. We're going to have a good time. Let's sing to the Lord. Let's praise.
love you guys. Be safe on your drive home. <laughs>